get sneaky. Laurie Rose, the two-time winner, takes the lead from Faulkner. That's the way they finish the first lap. And welcome to another episode of Pit Lane Parlay. This is Matt Hickey with host Mike. How are you doing this evening? I'm lovely. Recording on Mother's Day evening. So happy Mother's Day to your your lovely mother, Mama Hickey. Yes, we got to celebrate today. That was really fun. Got to see the in-laws as well. Kind of weird that we're recording on Sunday. (laughs) Excuse me. Uh, my wife and I are being rude and celebrating our anniversary on Tuesday uh, when we normally record. So, yeah, how dare you guys celebrate your, your wedding anniversary? I kind of wanted to say, you know, host Mike is really mad at me for not recording this Tuesday. So I think I'm going to have to uh, reschedule our anniversary dinner. And I just kind of want to see what her reaction is going to be because I feel like it'd be kind of worth it. You know, as much as I appreciate the humor, I don't want to be on your wife's bad side i get enough trouble at home so I don't yeah get yeah I don't, in I a separate note this trouble. is a in a separate note this is gonna be my last episode ever recorded <laughs> uh yeah but anyways we got some indycar stuff to go over a kind of a slow week in news but we did get a couple fan questions a couple of topics and then we're previewing the what is it called is this one called the grand prix of indy I get confused now because there was three of them last year. <laughs> this is the GMR Grand Prix. All right. The GMR Grand Prix of Indy, um, which is going to be this weekend on Saturday at 2.30 Central time, if I remember. 2.30 Eastern. 2.30 Eastern. Oh, good thing you said that. I was going to be an hour late. So um, first off, we're going to sometimes on our F1 episodes, we crossover and talk about IndyCar. Example, Paddle Award now is an F1 test, so we talked about that. Uh, so this week, F1 trickled into the IndyCar world because Stefano Domenichelli, who is the CEO of Formula One or Liberty Media or some sort of fancy title over there, uh, says he wants the Formula One series to have an American driver. But he says that he thinks it's likely not going to happen within the next two to or for at least two to three years, which drew a reaction for sure from some on social media, fans, journalists, and then a couple drivers actually even chimed in. I think, you know, Rossi and Daly did their kind of typical savage takes on them, like very brief, but very like, oh, that's cool, dot, dot, dot. Uh, Graham Rahal had a little more eloquated response, kind of saying, you ever heard of this guy, Colton Herta? So what did you make of, and I'm sure we may talk about this too on the F1 podcast, but what did you make of Domenichelli's comments about American drivers? I am happy it's better than you know a couple of years ago when Gene Haas was like, American drivers don't have any room in f1 right now or something silly like that and he got shredded by i think graham rahal for one and probably rossi and so yeah i mean listen it's i would love to see an american f1 driver i think he's probably got i don't want to say a narrow-minded view set but maybe he's looking at guys like 
Logan Sargent down in F3, and he's thinking, okay, well, if they're going to come from F1, they have to go through the system. And not like they have to, but that's where they're starting at the younger ages and working their way up. So they get familiar with the teams. And maybe he thinks, even though Colton Hurd is all of 21 years old, that Colton Hurd is quote unquote too old to go through the F1 ropes. I disagree completely. And I'm glad Ray Hall pointed that out. To be honest, I missed Rossi and Daly's take on it. I don't know how. I don't I don't know what day. I don't even remember what day this came out this week, to be honest with you. But it's disappointing that he says it won't happen for two to three years because you, you you have guys like Pato, you have guys like Colton Herta, you have probably you have Logan Sargent down in F three, so he's you know, he's probably a couple years away. But all in all I don't like the negative sentiment that he kind of he's like, yeah, I want it, but like that, but is what, what kills me. Yeah. So Connor's response was the racer mag article that he responded to. It said Dominic Kelly has been trying to work on getting an American driver in and daily responded, LOL, what work? And then I'm trying to see if Rossi was on this thread because Rossi to my memory, is the last Formula One driver from America. Oh, Rossi tweeted a gif of Homer Simpson at a nuclear reactor spinning in his chair while it seems like very important things are happening. So, <laughs> so like I said, kind of typical like daily and Rossi responses were kind of like poking fun, savage, things like that. But again, um, if you give me one second here, I can pull up Ray Halls. I, I disagree too. I think, you know, obviously the name floating around heavily right now is Colton Herta, but I think like a guy like Joseph Newgarden two to three years ago or even now he he could do well um, I think if we're being a little more realistic and, and someone who's got their eyes fixated on it um, I think his name is Jack Crawford he is in the Red Bull Junior yes. program right now in F3 and from yeah. all accounts he looks very promising um, so I don't think it's um, – it could be two to three years away. I, I guess a lot of it depends on Herda, and a lot of it depends on if there's an F1 team that maybe approaches him. I Again, like we've talked about, I think his odds are low. It's not a, it's not a talent thing. It's a finding yourself in the right situation type of deal. And with the landscape that Formula One has shifted to over the last five to ten years with junior programs and whatnot, Going for Mr. or Mrs. Outside Hire is not something as common as it used to be, unless they're very established, like Renault going for Alonzo. Like, you know, obviously Alonzo wasn't in yeah. the junior program, but it's Fernando Alonzo. So um, Ray Hall tweeted, with all due respect, Mr. Domenichelli, have you ever seen Colton Herta? He doesn't need two to three years, and he's only 21. Throw him in a good car, and he'll win. Hashtag respect American drivers. So... Is a little more than just a Homer Simpson gif, but kind of, you know, I'm assuming they were on the same train of thought. So something we'll keep our eyes on for sure, not only with Colton Herta and the press storm that'll probably be following him all season and the will he, won't he kind of stuff, but some we'll keep our eyes on for the next couple of years. Uh, and then speaking of Joseph Newgarden, it sounds like Roger Penske is perfectly happy continuing with four cards. 
uh, for the foreseeable future. I know they just announced uh, plans to um, join forces with Porsche in IMSA, I believe, if I'm not an uneducated fool. Well, you're, yeah, you're good. Okay. Well, I you can call me an uneducated fool, but I at least read four articles correctly on this one because I had to read it very slowly a couple yes. times. Um, so in the past, when they've done some sort of expansion like this at Team Penske, it usually means they downsize the IndyCar programs, but it doesn't sound like that's going to happen if sponsorship can be found. So in the article, it says that everybody's going to be coming back except for Simon Pagano, who's on a contract year. So he could be coming back, but it's not set in stone quite yet. So when we talk about Formula One, Newgarden's under contract. So I guess it's a, probably a good bet that he'll be coming back again. Power just signed a four-year extension, which is crazy. I did not know the landscape of McLaughlin's It was four deal. years? I thought it was two years. I heard four. I think that was what Matt Yoakum said on the broadcast. I'm not sure that that actually got published anywhere, but I thought Matt Yoakum said four. And then... Scott McLaughlin, yeah, and then Scott McLaughlin, I didn't know what his deal was or wasn't, but it sounds like he signed up for next year already. So that's a good safety net for him if that means he gets rookie, gets kind of like the rookie leash this year. Even if he sucks, he gets next year too. So what do you make of all this? So I do want to correct myself because I found the Penske press release, Will Power is two years. So... Just just so we were both on the same page. Nonetheless, that's you know next year and the year after that. So it's kind of like he's got three years if you're including this year. But man, it's going to be interesting. He's he's leaving it up. He's he's putting the the proverbial ball in Simon Pagano's court because if Pagano doesn't have a good year, he can say, "Well, sponsorship fell through." or some of the sponsor money is going to go to other drivers and X, Y, Z. So the the ball is fully in Pagano's court. He's saying, listen, if you perform, I'm Roger Penske. I can get the sponsors. That's no problem. But if you don't, you're probably not going to come back because the sponsors aren't going to be that happy. So it will be very interesting to see how Pagano responds, especially this this coming weekend and and the 500 in in a couple weeks so i'm i'm very intrigued but happy to see that even with the the porsche imsa slash hypercar lmdh program that could run in europe as well that they are still willing to run four cars that's definitely a good sign yeah i think like i said you know when they had the accurate thing come up they uh i think they went from four to three in indycar which is was I thought a good thing at the time because at the time when they had four cars, IndyCar was in that Aero Kit era and having four Penske cars basically finished in the top 10 no matter what every race was getting a little old. Um, so that's that's cool. But so if, if, if Simon Pagano has a bad month of May as far as both the Grand Prix and has a lackluster Indy 500, does he need to start updating his resume? I don't know about that. I mean, we're only at that point. We're only about a third of the way through the season, so he's still 
got time, but if he has a bad month of May, even though we've already technically had two races in May, I think it puts immense pressure on him to have multiple wins the rest of the year. Because I think at that point, he's got to be like top five in the standings for the full season to keep everybody happy. I would think, yeah, the the panic button would start to be pressed pretty hard if he yeah. did not have a good Indy 500. Because that also, theoretically, if he has a bad Indy 500, that would also kind of hurt his championship hopes immensely. But he has had a pretty good start to the year. So I think um, Barbara was a little rough, but then his next three rounds were well above Much average. Better. So. Yeah. Uh, definitely rooting for Simon though. Love him. He's a great driver and congrats on the newborn. I guess we should probably throw that in there too. Uh, they, he and his wife had their first child, I believe a couple days ago. So congrats to them and happy mother's day to Mrs. Paginot. Uh, that was, I, I missed that really one. Congrats. Really good timing there. Cause now she gets to celebrate mother's day. Let's do some fan questions here. Mark Van Kirk, team pit lane member. We had definitely some we'll say discussion after our last episode when it came to the Texas restarts and what should or shouldn't happen. There was also a pretty good segment on ask off track with Hinch and Rossi about, um, you know, kind of obviously their professional take on it as drivers, me and Mike like to drink beer and cuss at sports on TV and occasionally we watch some racing. So Accurate. not, not yep. saying their opinion is better than ours, but, but it is. they they know what they're talking about. So I think listening to what they have to say kind of trumps what we have to say, but they also kind of seem to have similar ideas to us. So that makes me feel a little better about myself, I guess. So first question, we got two this week, and they're both about restarts. Should, and this is from Mark, so thank you, Mark. Should IndyCar have a minimum start slash restart speed for these starts or restarts to avoid something happening like Texas? Yes. I think combining that with something, Matt, that you said last week about everybody has to pack up at you know the start of the last warm-up lap versus you know the last two or three corners and everybody has to maintain, I don't know, whatever the speed is, depending on if you're on an oval or if you're on a road course, would be a good way of making sure that something like this doesn't happen. And you're still going to get somebody who tries to jump the gun a little bit early, but I think this would this would have definitely helped a situation like Gateway last year. Definitely for sure. Yes. And I think, you know, it should depend on the track. So like Texas, when you get the one to go start, like, you know, right at the start finish line or right at the entry turn one, start gridding. If you're talking like Gateway though. You may need to give yourself a little bit longer just because it's a shorter track. So I think, um, you know, mandating that the leaders have to go at 90 miles an hour. So that way when you are Connor Daly, you know, you're trying to catch up to the group, you know, like, oh, hey, once I get there, I should be going about 90 miles an hour, something like that. I think there's been a lot of healthy discussion and I know I'm, well, I guess I'm assuming a lot of the owners who had cars collected on Sunday, probably fed up with these restart crashes and start crashes. Cause that's a lot of waste of money for no reason. So if we know Jay Fry 
at all. I'm assuming he's taking all this feedback, and I'm assuming race control is taking all this feedback and seeing if they can adjust anything because, yes, not only is it a waste of money, but it's also just a really bad look for the series. So hopefully we can get these sorted out. And then our friend Matt Gruenholz, Team Pinley member, also asked if we think rows of cars should be separated more on restarts. I'm going to go with no on this one. I think if, I mean, if anything, maybe a, a foot or two more, but you know, part of the allure of the start of the race is making moves. And if, if cars are, I think I might change my answer on this one and go, I think I might go. Yes. Cause I'm thinking to Indy and they're definitely, you know, yeah six to eight feet in between rows and we still see plenty happening on the start there so yes ignore everything i just said for the previous 20 seconds and go yes maybe whatever the distance is at indy which usually is a I'm kind of looking here at a picture on my other monitor looks like six ish feet yeah something like that where it's a, a you know, maybe a little bit more separated than normal but still close enough to make moves when when everything goes green but i think that's less important if you're mandating a minimum start speed restart speed and time to pack up the field yes i agree with matt i think and you i think there should be more separation because i think texas sunday they were pretty much nose to tail and even if you do get a good start, I feel like you're not going to be able to utilize it to your advantage because you're just going to either have to lift or, you know, it's not the track's not wide enough for you to do something with it. And then, you know, turn one, there's no grip on the high line anyways. So I don't see quite the point of doing that. I know I'm trying to think back to cart when they did the two by twos on ovals. They were definitely well spread out compared to what we do now. So, and yeah, you know, at Indy 500, we see guys who are, several rows back pass a full row going into turn one because everybody's lifting or whatever so i think even if there was more separation you'd still see bravery rewarded if people just full send it so i think that's another good point is that the separation there is is extremely tight and and for my opinion for no reason and i think jr hildebrand actually shared the same opinion on twitter too when he gave his analysis of it and As much as I didn't like his experience with Ed Carpenter that one year he was full-time, dude definitely knows what he's talking about. He's very smart. He's very well-spoken and can very clearly state his opinions on subjects, especially when he's asked about it. So he's definitely a good guy to ask on that. He he gave a really good response to that, too, on social media. I, so I feel like J.R. Hildebrand could debate you about anything. Like He could debate you about best kind of leash to get your dog and like no matter what it is you would you would lose the debate yeah uh, yeah anybody anybody would lose that debate it's um i mean i know i'm a little more rough around the edges but (laughs) i i don't know what i would debate about debate with him about like i'm not gonna be like i could edit a podcast better than you because i guarantee you he he's probably smart enough that he's still better at it than i am yeah I wonder if I have him in F1 2020. Maybe maybe I'm a, a video little game. I, I don't know. He's hey. probably a wizard. Yeah, it's true. He probably games for like five hours a day without anybody knowing. Yeah. All right. So we'll uh, we'll hop into the GMR Grand Prix preview. Last year, obviously, there were 
like 16 races there. So, so winners were Scott Dixon, Joseph Newgarden, and Will Power. I think that second race was like the crazy race with all the all the action going on there. We have a couple extra cars. Charlie Kimball in the 11 car, Juan Montoya in the 86 McLaren. So that brings the field up to 26 cars. So Matt, is a good GMR Grand Prix vital for kind of a you know good lead into the Indy 500? Not necessarily. I think if someone were to get into an accident, it wouldn't necessarily derail things. And I want to say that I think most teams are going to have a separate Indy 500 car. I don't know if the Texas crash damage impacted that for anybody, but the standard play is that they're going to have a separate car. So even if insert driver completely totals their car in the Grand Prix, I don't think that's going to impact their preparation for the 500, except maybe just getting like the car ready as a backup. But um, I don't think, yeah, I don't, as far as like momentum, anything like you get four plus days to practice before qualifying so you can you know quickly kind of rebound and shake things off and then get back to it so i uh it's almost like i should go back and kind of look at what history says in this one too and see if there's any correlation between a bad race and a bad uh indy 500 race but i i personally off the top of my head i don't think they it's as bad as it may be Bruce Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar Series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast. Coming up on 5-Minute News... I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased, and essential world news daily seen in the public eye yeah and that's a good point because i obviously it did help simon pagino but i don't i don't know if there's too much of a correlation there but i do know the i think it was the foyt cars that were wrecked in texas are both salvageable so thankfully there was no major tub write-off for them and larry foyt said that those were the road course cars just fitted for the texas oval and that the indy tubs were separate so there's no kind of major concern for the indy 500 there for for those cars so 
That was a good thing to hear, but I do agree with you. I think it's almost the only kind of thing that's vital for a good Indy 500 is that the race is pretty good, so we get any sort of casual fans that are watching on Sunday that maybe we pick up some extra eyes that that will watch for the Indy 500. You know, maybe we have some Jimmy Johnson fans or whatever that that are going to tune in the Indy 500 that maybe don't tune into it normally before the whatever the race is that night for NASCAR, the Coca-Cola 600. So otherwise, I agree with you. I'd, I'd be curious to see what the correlation is, but I don't think there's too much correlation between the two, especially with the days off and practice and, and everything else. Is it going to be nice that we're going to be subjected to one bad race on Indy 500 day instead of two like we normally are? Like at least it was back in the day. Like you start off the day with Monaco, where there's a total of like f- five passes. Great, great venue. Obviously, very historic venue and very important for Formula One, especially in the commercial side. But we can't sit here and lie to ourselves and say it puts on a good race because most of the time it doesn't. Especially with these cars that are insanely massive, it just makes it that much worse. And then you got the Indy 500, which is heart rate of 100, 180 beats per minute for two and a half hours in a row on the edge of your seat, high speeds, high drama. And then we round out the day with the Coca-Cola 600, which is like, Oh God, is it over yet? I swear yeah. one time I was like, and we've reached a halfway point. I swear we were on like two hours and 20 minutes. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. This might be a little rough to say, but like ending the day with the Coca-Cola 600 is like the wet fart of the world. Like it's just, <laughs> it's just brutal. And I'm sorry, everybody who has to picture that in some way. But yeah, Monaco is qualifying the same weekend as Indy 500 qualifying this year. So that'll, that'll be, I guess, nice that it's, you get a little extra rest in the morning before the 500. I'm not particularly looking forward to Monaco. Although I will say I would love to, I still would love to go there one day just for all the kind of pump and circumstance I think it would be cool to experience at some point, but we'll yeah. save that for an F1 episode. Yeah, I would love to go too. And if I had to, if I had to liken the you know the standard Monaco to Indy to Coca Cola 600, it's kind of like Game of Thrones. Like, <laughs> first couple seasons of Game of Thrones, you get set up in this picturesque landscape, has a lot of intrigue, um, and some Monaco races definitely have some great plot twists, and then. The middle part of Game of Thrones is epic with even more plot twists and the Red Wedding and stuff. And then the last two seasons of Game of Thrones are just hot garbage. A wet fart. Yeah, a wet fart. And so that's that's kind of the first thing that came to my head when I thought about it. So yeah, that just when you're watching races that weekend, just think Game of Thrones now. And you can thank me later. Yeah, I, I dig it. All right, we're going to go into our predictions and... Before we do, like Matt mentioned, the race is Saturday, 2.30 Eastern. Qualifying is Friday at 4.30 Eastern. I won't be doing much live tweeting as I'll actually be working the IMSA race out in mid-Ohio this weekend. So if you're in mid-Ohio, come say hi. But that being said, oh, and the race is on, on, on big NBC, not NBCSN. So good to see there. Matt, your good prediction. I am not prepared for this at all. Hang on a second. Who is going to do good this weekend? I think history tells us 
that we have to kind of either pick Will Power or Simon Pagano. And I have a history of not cursing one of those guys. So I'm going to say Will Power. I believe he led every lap of one of those last year, or pretty close to every lap. I think one of those he just dominated. Yeah, the last one that he won. Yeah, really good performance there. And obviously he and Pagano kind of owned that place since we've been doing this. So, you know, obviously Dixon and Newgarden won last year too. But prior to that, it was pretty much Power and Pagano show to run. So I'm going to go with Will Power. All right, well, I'm going to go with Graham Rahal, who looked to be set up to win or finish second last year at the first one, I believe, before the yellow flag flipped everything into Scott Dixon's favor. No shock there. So I think Rahal, who had a strong Texas weekend, will keep the momentum going. Your bad prediction. My bad prediction, I am going to say something's going to go wrong slash kind of continue his road course trend for Scott McLaughlin. Hasn't set me ablaze with some of his performance in the road courses so far. And I I don't know if this will be the weekend that it changes. So I think he'll maybe set up for another like 14th or so place finish. Is Ed Carpenter racing considered low hanging fruit? If it's Connor Daly, yes. Okay. Then I'm not going to pick Connor. Connor was my first choice. No offense, Connor, here. Until they prove that they can get like a top 10, they're probably low-hanging fruit for now. Yeah, good point. I will take Felix Rosenquist. I think I picked him last week too, but... <laughs> you did, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm so sorry, Felix. He's never going to come on the show again. And last prediction here your dark horse top 10 selection. I'm going to go with some spice and say that Ryan Hunter Ray is going to start to turn around his season and, and um, spicy, maybe do something for the first time this season. (laughs) I got to hope. I I like Ryan. I don't want him to like, I don't want this to be like it for him. I don't want his like last season to be kind of, uh, I don't know. Insert famous veteran from IndyCar or formula one. Uh, Tony Kanan kind of went out uh, at Ganassi. He went out in a cloud and then kind of, you know, went to Foyt and hung out in the back. Michael Schumacher at Mercedes just wasn't uh, wasn't working for him when Nico was doing great. Um, there's a couple others, obviously, but I don't want this to be it for Ryan. So I would definitely love to see him kind of turn this around and uh, prove that he still belongs here. You said do something. I pictured like that gif with like yeah. the stick figure poking something. Yeah, thing. Do, do something. something. Do things. <laughs> yeah. My wife says that to me all the time. Like, do things. Why aren't you yeah. get up and do something? <laughs> yep. Yep. I think I was getting in trouble for that a couple hours ago. Anyway, my Dark Horse Top 10. Let's go real spicy here and go Juan Montoya. Ooh. Why not? Well, so who do you say? Like, I mean, I obviously guessing based on your pick but you assuming you're thinking montoya is gonna outpace kimball for the one and done entries is that really even a question hey i like charlie kimball and me too he's a very nice man you know what you know what this is gonna do for us this weekend is i can outside of a mechanical failure it might be a hot take i am willing to bet something that charlie kimball wipes the floor with Dalton Kellett this weekend in his first race in whatever, eight months. I'm not taking that bet. I don't, I don't think anybody should take that bet. 
but I think it's going to, I think, honestly, this will be a good gauge as far as where Foyt might be at because we have Bourdais who's looking class. And then you got Kellett who's looking the opposite of class. And so is Kimball going to like fall more towards Bourdais? Is he going to fall more towards Kellett? Is he going to be somewhere in the middle? So it's going to be a good measuring stick for them to figure out if if there are any weaknesses maybe in the team or areas to improve. <laughs> Number four car. So we will see how that works. But yeah, I think that's going to be cool. And then on the flip side too, is Montoya going? I mean, again, we have to kind of curb our expectations because they haven't raced in a while, and especially Montoya. But is he going to be able to be within a couple tenths of Pato? Is he going to be way slower than Felix? Like, is he going to be kind of in the middle of those two? Like, it's going to be interesting to see if if either of these two drivers can give us a, kind of a read on where the team is at or if there's potential weaknesses on the squads. Yeah, great point there. I especially like your Kimball kind of evaluating where, where Foyt is at, at, at a hole. And no, I'm not taking that bet, but don't forget, you still do owe me a blue cheese bet that you reminded me of on Twitter today. You you would have gotten away with that if you didn't remind me. See, I don't even know what I had to do. What do I have to do? Well, did it, do we remember what I did wrong? Yes, you bet me that I wouldn't make a comment to somebody in the Xbox F1 league, and I did make <laughs> yeah. a comment. Uh, so i remember that now <laughs> yep yeah it was something com- it, way too savage for you like that's something that yeah. you would normally do on facebook but not on twitter and then you're like i'm like right. i'll do some blue cheese if you if you say that and you're like fine i'm like oh my god you actually did it yep <laughs> oh caught me, on, caught me on a bad day so i was i was feeling a little spicy but anyway is that real blue guys, cheese? What I have to do real blue cheese, not the dressing. Oh yeah, no, no, no blue cheese dressing. All right. Well, and and yeah, we'll 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 uh, we'll follow. We'll we'll make sure there's video evidence so that we can post it to the social channels, and we'll come up with a, a new bet here in the near future for something else. I forget whatever you tweeted me at this this morning. Oh, that there wasn't going to be a pass for the lead at Monaco. Oh on, yeah, we'll save track. that for the F1 discussion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, we'll save that for F1. Anyway, guys, enjoy the race this weekend. Again, 2.30, Saturday afternoon, and then Indy 500 practice starts Tuesday next week, correct? So not Monday, yeah, Tuesday. So a couple days off in between there, and then next week we'll do our annual large Indy 500 prediction episode and talk about what we see going on in practice and all that fun stuff. So we'll be back then. Have a wonderful weekend of racing. Today's podcast was presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. If you're a podcaster, you can apply too immediately and get connected with advertisers that fit your audience. Go to podgo.co at podgo.co and let them know that we sent you there. Hi, listeners. We wanted to take a moment to tell you about another podcast from Evergreen Podcasts and Sound Talent Media called Pit Lane Parlay. Pit Lane Parlay is the go-to podcast for IndyCar and motorsports-related news. Each episode, we discuss things like our favorite drivers, news clips from the last week, 
and generally giving each other a hard time about predictions we've made in the past and or life stories that have come up recently. We really have a lot of fun with it and really enjoy each other's company, and we hope you can come join us too. Join Pit Lane Parlay by following us on your favorite podcast today.